0: Morning. spent the last week vacationing with our family up northern Minnesota. And had uh, have to say Minnesota, you know, um, at the lake. And I'm exhausted. I got home last night about 7.30 and uh, cleaned up and stuff and went to bed. And that alarm clock went off this morning. I said, oh, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go to church. You ever feel like that? It's a little bit of a problem if I don't show up. But at any rate... Um, <laughs> Really tired, kind of groggy. The eyes had that sleep junk across them, and I go, man, I'm gross. Anyway, um, this morning we're going to talk on a really important topic the justice of God. And I think people have built into them. Uh, justice meter, because after all, we're created in the image of God, and even though we're in this fallen condition and we deal with all kinds of sin, we still have this kind of justice meter in us. I saw this thing really vividly uh, take place uh, a few weeks back when we were watching our four grandkids. I was sitting on our steps between levels of our house listening to Isaiah and Karis interact. Isaiah's five years old and his little sister's two years old. Things weren't going real well and I'm sitting on the steps just kind of smiling about the interaction that's taking place and pretty soon Isaiah makes his way up the steps and he's playing with his little trucks by me and he looks at me and says really calmly, "Cars is acting up. And I go, okay, and he goes, she needs to be punished. (laughs) I said, oh, yeah, and I said, okay, and I I kind of smiled and started laughing like you are and pretty, he said it a couple times and I said, "Here's, here's our plan, Isaiah why don't you just tell Mom and Dad what's going on later on, and they can take care of it. And he continues to run his little trucks around. Well, I think she needs it done now. They would do it right away. You should punish her right away. And I thought, wow, I'm glad you're not my dad. You know? But he had this justice thing going on, man. He he knew what was right. He knew his little sister. She needed to be spanked or something. I don't know what he thought I would do, but I didn't do anything. Um, Justice... It's the attribute of, of God that we're looking at this morning. Um, aren't you glad you're here? <laughs> I'm glad I get to share on this. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say this. Aren't you glad that you don't get what you deserve from God? Because we deserve punishment. We deserve death because of our sin. But God, in his great mercies, his mercies are new every morning. Instead of giving us the punishment that we deserve, gave us Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And every time I look at the topic of justice, I I can't look at it very long without thinking of Jesus and what he's done for you and me. And I think sometimes we forget about the justice of God because we look so much at God through the mercy of Christ and through the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. We can forget that it's because of God's justice that Christ had to go to the cross. And his justice has never been diminished. But we oftentimes don't see that our God we serve is a just God, and so it behooves us this morning, I think, to take a few moments and look at the justice side of God. Now, if I were wise, and speaking of Pastor Aaron's message last week, if I were wise and had a little bit of foresight, I would have given Aaron this message to do, and I would have did the one in wisdom last week, (laughs) But I wasn't that wise. And so I'm talking on justice this morning with you. I think it's an incredibly important what we're going to look at today. Um, all these messages, by the way, that we're doing this summer on uh, in this Who is God series are building us towards fall. You can have uh, what I would call balanced faith, proper faith, authentic faith if you don't know about the sovereignty of God. If you don't really understand that concept, your faith will be diminished. If you don't understand that you uh, serve a God who's good, a good, good father, amen, you're not going to understand uh, what really faith is supposed to be. If you don't see God as holy, as wise, as just, your faith, it becomes less than it should be. And this fall, we're going to get into this whole series on faith, but really, we're beginning that series now when we look at who is God and when we look at who are we. Uh, after this series for three weeks. All this builds us into this momentum thing that will take us right into fall when we look at uh, what it means to be a person that follows God faithfully. Um, You know what? Even in the opening pages of scripture, conversation takes place on the justice of God right away. Um, In Genesis chapter 18, God visits Abraham and Sarah and announces that this time next year you're going to have a child. And Sarah laughed at that promise of God and God has a little bit of a straightening out talk with Sarah and then he's about to depart and he says, should I tell Abraham what's to take place? And then he decides to tell Abraham what's about to take place, uh, that he was going to bring judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah because the outcry of those cities had reached his ears and it was time for justice to take place. And upon hearing that God was going to render judgment to to Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham begins to have a, a discourse, a conversation with God about justice the topic's right away uh, apparent here in Genesis 18. And, and Abraham says this in, in, in Genesis 18:25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right. And Abraham began to kind of barter with God. He said, if there be 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not spare those cities? And God says, yeah, for 50 I'll do that. And then he says, okay, God, have patience with me. I'm, I'm really, I'm really kind of, you know, summarizing this roughly. But he says, hear me some more, God. What if there's 45 people? Will you, have, you, know, will you, will you, will you still judge them if there's 45 righteous people? And God says, no. Well, th- this goes back and forth. And Abraham whittles God all the way down to 10 righteous people. He said, if you find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you spare them? And God says, yes. But he didn't find 10 righteous people. And those two cities came under the judgment of God. When you talk on this topic of justice, it's hard. It's hard for us because we all have this justice meter in us, and we see things the way we see them, and it's so tainted by our sinfulness and by our worldview and all that. Sometimes I don't even know if we're close to understanding what justice really is. Um, Chip Ingram, in his book, God As He Longs For You to See Him, said the following. concerning uh, justice. I was walking up the aisle one night before a church service in which I was gonna speak on the subject of justice when a man got my attention. I leaned over to greet him and he pointed to the bulletin and he said, hey, I'm glad you're gonna talk on this subject tonight. Why, I asked. I lost my wife about two and a half years ago. He sighed. She was the picture of health. We were enjoying the greatest years of our marriage. Then she got cancer and boom, she was gone. I still struggle with why. The question's been nagging him. How could something so devastating be allowed to happen? It seems like that question comes up in conversation almost daily, so does its twin. Why do good things happen to bad people? Sometimes that bothers me even more than the first. I vividly remember the sense of unfairness I had after a a country's recent corporate scandals. An executive leaves Enron with millions of dollars when the company implodes, the reporters interview several grandmothers who had their entire life savings in Enron stock and they have nothing. Wait a second. Time out, God. How can that be? One failure creates two results. First, a lady, whole future goes down the tube. Second, a guy who had inside information about what was going on, cash into stocks early. And adding insult to injury, he had a bonus written into his contract to collect millions more in severance. How can dishonesty be so richly rewarded? Even folks who have no interest in God shake their heads in amazement. We all come to the same conclusion when we think about these events. Life is not fair. Our gut feeling tells us it ought to be fair. And we're deeply disappointed when it isn't, especially when we're on the receiving end of the unfairness. Here are some common questions I think people have regarding the topic of God's justice. Just listen to these and see if you don't, at times, have some of these questions yourself. How can you believe God is just with so much injustice in the world? If life isn't fair and God created it, is he fair? I'm not saying these are right questions, but I think you ask them sometimes. How do you know you're not gonna get a raw deal? If God is just, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things to good people? And on and on we can go with uh, the question of God's justice. I'm going to give you a a real simple answer. You may not like this answer, but it is the answer of why these things go on and why there's unfairness and injustice in this world. And here's the simplistic answer. Much of the answer to these kinds of questions is sin. Amen? Sin is the problem, not God. God. Sin is why there's injustice in the world. Sin is why there's unfairness in the world. It's, that's the problem, not God. The challenge, though, is this. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't have an eternal perspective, if you're looking at life just from a worldly standpoint, from the here and now, you're hopeless when it comes to justice, amen? Because this world is hopelessly full of injustice, right? And if you think it's all going to be righted now, huh, I feel sorry for you. It's never going to happen. We who love Jesus and follow Jesus should look at life differently. We should understand that this world is not all there is. And God will make things right. It just might not be when we want it to be made right. And this is a reflective question that you need to consider this morning. Uh, a, a, a question of reflection. Listen to this um, statement, I should say, rather. God always does right. He always does right. you gotta, you got to get convictional on this. God always does right. It just may not fit into the timeline you would like it to fit into. Okay? God always does right, but it just may not fit into the timeline you would like it to fit into, because God is just, and God is righteous. He always does what is right. There is No exception to that. God always does right. It just may not fit into the timeline you would like it to fit into. Here's why I can say this with such authority. In Revelation chapter 20, we read about the great white throne judgment. And the dead, both great and small, stood before the throne. And if their name were not in the book of life, their destiny was what? The lake of fire so in the end, when God renders judgment, it'll be made right, right? Right? God always does right. It just may not be in the timeline you would like it to be in. Well, there's also a judgment for believers, but it's not a judgment of Life and death, so to speak, it's a judgment of rewards and praise. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5:10. It's often called the bema seat judgment, the the, the judgment of, of Jesus. Um, Paul, talking to believers, says that each one of us will go before our judgment seat, and and we're going to get awarded, praised, according to what we've done with what God has given us. Um, let me just read it to you: it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. See, now this is not a heaven or hell destiny kind of judgment. This is a, uh, this is a praise or disapproval of Jesus kind of judgment. So in the end, when all is said and done, whether you're a follower or a rejecter of Jesus Christ, all things will be made right. God always does right. It just may not fit into the timeline you'd like it to fit into. But God always does right. Amen? You hearing this? Because when you look at the justice of God, you've got to conclude he is a just, righteous, perfect God. He always does right. It just may not fit into the timeline we would like it to fit into. So now let's get a clear picture of God's justice. I'm going to give you a dictionary definition of justice. It means righteousness, lawfulness, honesty, integrity, fairness and impartiality, uncompromising and unwavering allegiance to a standard. That's what justice means. We often look at justice and we have this imagery of a judge with a gravel and all that kind of stuff, you know, with a gavel, I should say, it, right? Um, all that kind of stuff, rendering judgment, right? Um, that is a piece of it, but it's not the full picture of God's justice. Um, get this insight. Justice is not a standard that God follows. He is the standard. His nature is one of justice. God doesn't have to work it up and say, now I'm going to be just. He is justice. In fact, this is our big thought today, and it's this. Justice is foundational to God. And here's why I say this. It's, it's supported by Psalm uh, 97.2. Listen to this psalm. Clouds and thick darkness surround him, the hymn referring to God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So the psalmist is seeing this vision of God, and he says, there's mystery around God. He's, he's in, enveloped with this cloud of, of mystery, but his righteousness and justice, they're there. They're foundational. I see them. They're part of who he is. They're part of his character. So God is just. Justice is part of who he is. It's not something he works up, it's not something he does every now and then, it's who he is. I wanna talk to you for a few moments about a perspective I think it's important to gain. Uh, I wanna talk to you about eternity and our place in eternity. So I have this little graph, Uh, it's in your note guide too. Uh, It's just a line and it's supposed to represent eternity. Um, Eternity goes on forever, so the line goes on forever. Can you visualize that? All right, so at one point in eternity, God decides to create us. Mankind, the earth, the the universe, and all that. That's Genesis 1 and 2, right? God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. But then Genesis 3, we see something happen. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They sinned. Sin entered into creation. And then the story of redemption begins. And from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation chapter 20, we have the story of of redemption, we have the story of of fallen mankind and, and all that kind of thing going on. That is where we are right now, right? We live in the time of the parentheses. We're between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20, right? Amen, right? So we have this kind of skewed perspective when we look at topic matters like justice or or love, or, or, you know, wisdom, or anything, we look at it kind of through this cloudiness of our fallenness, okay? So we don't see things clearly. Um, it, 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 and then after, after uh, Revelation 20, of course, it's Revelation 21 and 22, and that talks about what is to come, the new heaven, and the new earth, and the river of life, and all that kind of stuff, okay, and eternity. We are the dot on eternity right now, okay? We are the little parentheses in, in, the, in, in the scope of eternity. And so when we look at something like justice, we tend to look at it in the parentheses because that's our existence. And it's a very limited view of, 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 a, of a topic matter like justice, but it is where we are. And so what I'm going to do this morning with you for a few moments is look at justice and the justice of God inside the parentheses. Because God, even inside the parentheses, has revealed his justice to us. And he is showing us that he is a just God. And he wants us to understand and see him as just. He longs for us to see him as just. So we're gonna look at God for a few moments and this topic of justice inside the parentheses. Um, even though this world clouds our view of the justice of God, it has been made known by God in several ways. Now remember, justice is bigger than God as a judge, okay? If you look at justice and you think of a courtroom scenario and God in this big old robe rendering a judgment, boom, with the the booming voice or whatever visualization you have, uh, would you throw that out, please? (laughs) And and start seeing justice as a bigger topic than that. Uh, uh, First of all, justice is seen through natural order. Justice is seen through natural order. Part of justice is lawfulness, And orderliness and all that. And we see that creation screams about the justice of God. Recently, we completed a series of messages from Romans chapter 1 through 5. And right away in Romans chapter 1, God makes it known that the knowledge of Him is evident by His creation. But because of the sinfulness of the fallen world, that knowledge is being suppressed, it's being ignored, it's being pushed to the side. He is therefore bringing his wrath against wickedness and godlessness. But it's not really being understood because it's not seen correctly because we live in this fallen, parentheses, state uh, uh, or condition, okay? But God says, nevertheless, they are, are without excuse, those who are rejecting him, because the natural order of creation witnesses to God. Listen to what Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says. It begins by saying, the wrath... Now, let me explain that word wrath. It means the righteousness, the passion and anger of God against evil, the standard of truth of God being ignored by people, causing God then to have wrath towards them. That's what the word wrath means. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without what? Excuse. So God has revealed himself by creation, but this truth is suppressed by the unrighteous. So God's invisible attributes, things like justice, love, goodness, his sovereignty, you know, um, wisdom, justice, it's all there. It's It's all being put on display. It's all being made evident, but it's being suppressed by the wickedness of the parentheses time of mankind, okay? Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because we got to understand that God is revealing to you, and he's revealing to me that he's a just God. We just have to open our eyes and see it. It's being made known to us. And the natural creation says, a God of lawfulness, a God of order, a God of justice. Um, I have to dive into science for just a moment because of my background. I've got this engineering uh, part of me that just always kind of surfaces to the front. But I, I just, I love studying some history and some, what, what these, these ancient scientists Uh, the conclusions they made and the advancements they made in science, because they understood that God is a God of lawfulness. Now when I say lawfulness, I mean order. I mean he he, he, he has a standard. He sets a standard, and then things operate according to that standard. That's part of justice, okay? Isaac Newton got this. Isaac Newton's one of my heroes. I love reading about this guy, you know? He was just brilliant because he understood, hey, God is a God of order. God is a God who creates laws, and things operate according to laws. That, that's justice, by the way. That's part of that, that part of, that's part of the a God being a, a just God. Um, convinced of that order, a guy like Isaac Newton then comes up with this system of math called calculus. Any of you study calculus beside me? Yeah, I think it's bad enough to learn that stuff. How do you create it? How do you come up with it, right? This guy came up with calculus because he started out at this place of acknowledging that we serve a God of order, a God who abides by laws, a God who sets a standard and operates accordingly. He came up with things like uh, formulas for gravitation. He came up with um, the three laws of motion. Anybody know the three laws of motion? You'll know one. For every every action, there is an opposite and equal what? Yay, you guys are brilliant. That's Newton, man. He comes up with all this brilliant stuff because he understood, I think, in a deep way, the justice side of God. The orderly side of God. The the lawful side of God. You know, God is the author of law and order. I'm not talking about the TV show either. Okay, that didn't work first hour. still didn't work second hour. So... (laughs) And, 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 and understanding God in this way opens up a whole new realm of looking at God, you know, differently. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, this is why something like justice is an important topic to talk about. And God has created creation to operate in, 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 under natural law, which screams God of justice, God of order, God of lawfulness, okay? Um, let's consider for a moment now that the justice of God is also seen through the human heart through the human heart. Um, once again, I'm going to turn to Romans for some supporting scripture. For this thought, it's found in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Let me read that to you. Indeed, when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. This will take place in the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So, so the Apostle Paul is saying here is that the heart, God writes and stamps his justice on the heart. People instinctively know there's a right and a wrong. Now, that's all marred by sin. That's all messed up by living in the parentheses, but it's still there. Uh, here's an example found in the Bible uh, of how this manifests itself. It's, it's found in Acts chapter 28, verses 3-6. through six. Uh, Paul had been shipwrecked. He's on this island, and they're starting a fire. Here's what happens. Listen. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. How many of you like snakes? Anybody like snakes in here? Yeah, some of you raise your hands, but you're kind of tentative. I don't know. I don't want to admit I'm a snake liker. You know, we're, we're at the lake, and we see these gardener snakes, and everybody goes, oh, a gardener snake, you know. It's a gardener snake, but this is a viper, and it latches onto his hand, right? When the islanders, now listen to this. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, ah, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. <laughs> this is bizarre scripture, but man, is it a good demonstration that God has imprinted on the people, on people's hearts this, this, this kind of justice thing. Because here's what takes place. Now visualize it with me this way. Paul gets bit by the snake. First of all, I'm thinking, snake bite, help the poor dude suck on it or something. I don't know what you do. Slice it up. No, what they do is they pull out the lawn chairs. They sit down. Let's see what happens. I might as well roast a marshmallow here while I waiting for this dude to swell up and die. You know, I'm thinking, really, seriously? You're just going to watch him die? You know, I mean, it just reminds me of being around a campfire and roasting marshmallows or something, you know? It's so casual. But their worldview said, if you do something wrong, then something wrong should happen back to you. Is that not justice? Is that not justice written on your heart? Come on, isn't that what it is? And nothing happens to them, and so their worldview says, that can't take place, so he has to be a god, right? That's the only thing they could do. That's the only answer they could come up with here. See, justice is put into the heart of people. Sin messes it all up and how it's manifested and how it's implemented. That's why you have a five year old little boy named Isaiah telling grandpa that his little sister, Kars, who's two, needs to be punished now. He has that sense of justice on his heart. He just isn't implementing it correctly, right? So, justice is put onto the hearts of people, that's an evidence that God is just, that's an evidence that God is just in the parentheses time of of eternity that we now live in. Now we're gonna go to the obvious way that God's justice is seen, and this is the way that we classically look at justice, God's role as judge. God's role as judge reveals that uh, he is a God of justice. Listen to Psalm nine, verse seven through eight. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne of judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. I mean, there it is. All the verbiage just clearly indicates that he is a God that is just and he is a God that administers justice. Uh, This concept's all over uh, in the Bible. Um, I don't know of anything that reveals the justice of God more than the cross, though. And that's how we're gonna end here. Uh, this morning uh, with at least a look in the parentheses at at how God makes his justice known. The cross makes God's justice known. Um, Listen to uh, Romans 3, verses 25 through 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his what? Righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be what? Just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The cross, the cross reveals the justice of God. God didn't overlook our sin. He didn't wink at it and say, I'm a loving God, no big deal that you sinned. He didn't do that. He said, because I'm a just being, I'm just at my foundation, I do what is right. Somebody has to pay the penalty for this sin. You can't, you're incapable because you're a sinner, so he sent his perfect son as a substitute. And the cross shows God is just, because justice demands what? That sin be accounted for. How was it accounted for? Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So every time you think of the cross, Right in that thinking should be, oh, God's justice was satisfied through the cross. So you have the centerpiece of history being Jesus Christ, and at the center of the centerpiece of history is God's justice being met by the, the, the death of Christ. Do you see God as just? It's important to see God as just. And to understand, he will always do right. It just may not fit into the timeline we would like it to fit into. So, having shared all this with you as i've done frequently in the past i'm going to do once again this morning i want to get down to the nitty-gritty and say so what so god is just how should that affect you and me what do we do with the justice side of god well we live life god's way we begin to see i got to live life god's way because he's right he always does right he's just and i got to do life the way he instructs me to do it This means, first of all, you'll truly embrace Jesus Christ. You'll truly embrace Jesus Christ. See, the message of the cross should never diminish as you mature in your faith. It should become more and more precious, more and more meaningful, more and more rich in its implications. Sometimes people tell me, and I know they don't mean it this way, we want to go something deep. We don't want to go into the message of the cross. We want to go into the deep things of the scripture. And I'm going... There's nothing deeper than the cross. The more you know Jesus and the longer you live in Jesus, the more you should look at the cross and marvel and wonderment at what it means. Because you know that you deserve God's wrath. Amen? And the cross is God's way of taking that wrath away from you and yet having his justice met. See, we're not about religion here. We're about being right with God. Amen? And the way we're right with God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that should become something that just mystifies you almost the more you're in the, in the faith. The more you look at the cross, the more you should say, wow, God, through this you have made me right. And, and it should just create in you this, this deep sense of, of gratitude. Um, by the way, Jesus now is the one who God has kind of delegated judgment to. But if you're in Christ... You've crossed over from death to life, amen? And you don't come under that judgment. So, what do we do with embracing Jesus? What did I mean by that? You press into Him, man. You press into Him. You, 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 you get vulnerable before Him. You have an honest relationship with Him. You bear your heart to Him. You don't go through the motions of religion. That means diddly squat to God. You impress into Christ and you love on Him recklessly. You, you just sing to Him. You, you do whatever. You cry before Him. But you're honest, amen? Because He's your Savior and He's made you right. That's what you do. That's God's way. You press into Jesus. Secondly, and this is harder almost, is you refuse vengeance. You refuse vengeance. Romans 12 tells us don't repay evil for evil. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And that is contrary to what we want to do, because our sense of fairness, right, says, I deserve my pound of flesh. If you wrong me, I want to wrong you back, right? You, 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 you know, that's kind of that skewed, in the parentheses, justice transpiring. But you know what? If you allow that to take hold of you, you're in bondage. You're in bondage to a person who's probably not even thinking about you because you're thinking in your mind how to get them back. They're not even giving you a thought. And you're in bondage to that person. And I think today God says to some of us, it's time to be free. It's time to be free from those who've wronged you because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll take care of it. God always does right. He just doesn't do it in the timetable we'd like him to do it in sometimes. But if you've been wronged and you're hanging on to it and it's coming to your mind right now, I think God is saying to you, be free, leave it to me, I'll take care of it, give it to God today. Vengeance is his, it's not ours, we can't administer it right, we're in that time of the parentheses, we're in this fallen world, we just can't do it, it's not our job anyway, it's God's job, amen? So if you need to have some prayer after service, and I'm not saying for this specifically, but there's a prayer team that will pray with you about some of these things. Every one of the biggest days of freedom for me was when I admitted in my life that I was an angry person because of some things that had happened to me during my childhood and I was hanging on to them. And one day God said, it's time for you to grow up and get over this. And I just gave them to God and I was free. And I, for the first time in my life, I remember thinking, man, I, that thing isn't hanging over me. And then lastly is this, trust in, in God's justice. Trust in God's justice. Um, in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph laments of the prosperity of the wicked but then in verse 17, he does something. He looks outside the parentheses. He looks at it from eternity standpoint, and he says, in the final end, in the final destiny of these people, their is not good. So why am I envying them anyway? He kinda concludes all that. Asphat was willing to rest in the justice of God. And the question I have for you this morning is, are you? Will you take comfort in God when people gossip about you? Will you take comfort in God when you're ripped off financially? Will you take comfort in God when you get passed by for a promotion that you deserve? Will you take comfort in God when you get a raw deal? Anybody get a raw deal in here? If you don't, tell me about your life, I want your life. Will you be comfort in God when you're cheated or when a spouse is unfaithful and you could fill in the blank and all these kinds of things that just devastate us because we have this sense of fairness, but it's so skewed and we live in that time of parentheses that we can't even see things straight half the time where you take comfort and rest in the fact that God always does right, but it may not be in the timeline that we like. I would like to end the service today by having you stand, so stand with me please. And we're going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21 out loud uh, together. So here we go. Read it out loud with me, please. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. By the way, just a point of clarification. This heaping burning coals on this guy's head is an amour. I'm going to pray for you and get you moment. No, that's not what that means at all. What that means is if you have this kind of reaction to them, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon them. And that coal, that fire of God will burn on them and hopefully turn their hearts to him. Amen? So it's not about getting something or getting back at somebody. It's about being in this right place and doing what Christ would do. So just make sure when you read about the heaping burning coals, you don't read that wrongly, okay? Let's pray, and then we're going to finish with a song. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you that you're a just God. For me, it would be scary to place faith in a being, in a God, who's not just. Because I don't know what that would mean, and I don't know how you would treat us. And uh, If you didn't have a standard, if you didn't have orderliness, if you weren't lawful God, it it would be just downright scary trusting you. That's, That's kind of like what we're dealing with with our government anymore. It seems like everyone's a little scared because who do you trust? And well, they do what's right. And it just seems like we're, we're dealing with this justice thing an awful lot more than we realize. But when it comes to you, God, you're always right. You'll always do right. It just may not be in the timeline that we'd like it to be in. And so, God, this morning, we declare to our souls, to our hearts, that you are right, you are just, you are perfect. And we want to thank you now, God, that we don't get what we deserve. Because your justice demands that our sins exact a penalty. And we wanna praise you right now that Jesus has borne that penalty for us. And because of him, we have life and life forevermore. And your justice has been met perfectly in him. Our account has been cleared, our sins are forgotten, and, and, and we've been made new in Christ. And we're so grateful for that. So as we finish by singing this song, I want to pray that we'd have a keen sense of your justice, but also that we'd be coupled with this new life in Jesus Christ and the mercy that you've demonstrated in Christ, uh, Lord. It's just kind of amazing. I want to pray for anyone that doesn't know Jesus here this morning, that today you would give your life to Christ, that you would receive him as Savior and Lord and begin to understand that you can't be right with God until you have Christ in your heart. I just pray that some today, whoever it needs to be, would give their life to you, Jesus, this day. Now as we sing this song, may it be a song of gratitude and a song of praise to you, Christ. In your name, amen.